Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are again. This is the third installment of the Don't Crack Up podcast. I'm your host, Patrick. Patrick Markey. I hope you're doing well. Uh, again, this is number three. Hooray. Um, I'm sure that you have been thrilled to listen to the first two. Um, if you haven't, hey, there's plenty of time to go back and check. It's still there. Uh, listen to them. As you might know, this is podcast where uh, we try not to crack up. Uh, this is for commuters. It's um, not exclusively for commuters. It's for everyone. Uh, but it is a commuters podcast. It is uh, made by a commuter. And, you know, hopefully this is something you can listen to on your ride or your walk or your bike ride or your train ride or your vacuuming, etc., etc. Uh, it's June. The year is 2021. It is construction season. Uh, we're, we're fully in the midst of it. I will say this past week, uh, although the construction has been present, um, no, no long delays, which was nice. Uh, I just guess I was fortunate. I know there were, you know, delays and such. I just had one of those weeks where I didn't get caught in it. So hooray for me. And I hope that was you as well. Uh, drive safely. Okay. So what are we doing? Well, this week, uh, I regret to inform you, we will not have a check-in with, uh, my dear friend, John Baugh, uh, schedules just didn't work out, but don't you worry. There is content. Uh, as I do every week, I'm going to let you know something that I'm listening to, talk about something I'm watching. Uh, I will also do the latest installment of the Party Down uh, series of discussions. First week, I talked about an overview of the show. Second week, last week, uh, I did a deep dive on Henry Pollard, the character played by the great Adam Scott. And this week, it is a deep dive into Ron Donald, played by the outstanding, excellent Mr. Ken Marino, uh, formerly of the state. And again, that's Party Down, the Stars Network show, which aired from 2009 to 2010. So stay tuned. Deep dive on Ron Donald. How exciting is that going to be? So you know what? Let's not waste any time. Let's get right to it. Put in some music. Okay, right here. Here we go. So, something I listened to this week. In keeping with that great commuter lifestyle, I was listening to uh, audiobooks. Uh, this time, a short story. Uh, through Audible, yes. It is an Amazon company. Boy, is it convenient, though. So, I just have to tell you and give you an idea where you can uh, get the things that I'm listening to. That's where I got this. And this is Bartleby the Scribner. A Story of Wall Street. Now, this is a short story by Herman Melville from the year 1853. Uh, it's less than a two-hour listen. So this was, you know, this is one one day of commuting, and you've heard the whole story. Uh, this particular version I was listening to, again, I got it on Audible. It was narrated by Stefan Rud Rudnicki. Uh, that's the best I can do with that. And then it's the Blackstone Audio Inc. presentation. This story, although from 1853... I think is very timely and appropriate for the year 2021 in which uh, we're, we're hearing about different employment issues and, you know, people making um, decisions and reflecting on what they want to do and how they want to spend their time and their life uh, as it relates to work and careers and things like that. So, of course, that's always a timely issue, isn't it? 
Bartleby the Scrivener, what is a Scrivener? Well, it's, uh, at least my understanding, it's someone who sort of copies um, and reads law contracts. Uh, the story is told through the perspective of a lawyer. Uh, it makes it clear he's not a courtroom lawyer. He's a lawyer who, I guess, works on Wall Street and makes contracts, etc. And so the Scrivener's job is to read and copy contracts. Remember, this is a, I don't know the state of copying. Um, certainly they had the printing press in 1853, but I, I don't want to make any other statements uh, out of ignorance of, of what they did or did not have. But this story makes it clear you have people by hand reading contracts and then making copies of them. And Bartleby is brought on because our, our narrator, the lawyer, has these other two Scribners. They only do uh, quality work uh, half the day. He brings in this third uh, Scribner, Bartleby. And Bartleby has the famous line, I would prefer not to. So he is given these assignments. And the story makes clear he does do some work. But when he's given things beyond, um, I don't know if you want to say beyond sort of the basic requirements of the work, he has the famous line, I would prefer not to. There's not a lot in the story that he straight up says no to. But he has that line, I would prefer not to. It's brilliant. It's genius. Um, how many of us feel that same way? Someone says, do this. And your thought is, I would prefer not to. Well, Bartleby makes this statement, and it's absolutely shocking. And, you know, his co-workers can't believe it. The boss can't believe it. And it raises all these issues of, um, and again, I, this, this, is how, this is what it says to me. So let me make that preface. I'm not reading from any sort of scholarly articles or analysis of what it means. I'm just talking to you about what this story meant to me. Uh, full confession, I read it. Uh, as part of undergrad, but that was a very long time ago, and I hadn't read it since. And so now uh, I heard the audiobook and it sort of presented it fresh, uh, which I appreciated. So the issues that I think of when I think of Bartleby and, and I reflect on Bartleby, one is sort of the non-confrontational nature of people. You have the um, the boss who is told, you know, by Bartleby who he preferred not to do things. And it's just completely shocking. He doesn't know how to handle it. He doesn't know how to deal with it. Um, but Bartleby is not a, a hostile person in any way. He, the, the story makes it clear he's, he's a nice person. He's a harmless person. And so there's only so much that people will, will do. And it's interesting to see the different reactions among the coworkers. Some sort of violently angry, some not as much. And then the boss is sort of in between. But really it deals with, in my opinion, the way we handle and issues like mental illness and others and um, it's a it's a story about empathy and how much are we really willing to do with someone who's clearly um, not well Bartleby we learn throughout the story is, is homeless he's living in the law office um, he says he'd prefer not to he seems to be pretty clearly depressed uh, and nobody really knows what to do about it and the boss is uh, really taken back and it's very inconvenient to have to deal with this instead of just giving the assignment the work is done and you move on and here is spoiler warning for the very end of Bartleby although spoiler for a story that's over 150 years old or nearly 150 years old you know that's probably outside the limits regardless of this analysis I'm giving you you should read it or you should listen to it okay uh, ultimately the boss moves away to just run away from your problem, right? 
well, that doesn't fix it. The problem's still there. And represented literally by Bartleby not going anywhere. He stays in the old office space. And the community doesn't know what to do with him either. And so ultimately he is incarcerated. Uh, and that's how his illness, his depression, his homelessness is dealt with. So a timely story, um, a very sad story, quite frankly. Uh, but I, I think that it's, it, it, it speaks to what a, what a great work it is by Herman Melville in that you have written a story in 1853 and in 2021, it's just as, as meaningful and significant uh, as always. In speaking, in, in, in kind of going with our party down discussions, it also speaks to, I don't know, the dehumanizing nature of work in that when this individual, uh, Bartleby, says that he would rather not do work, um, his value as a person uh, is, is decreased in the eyes of his coworker. Uh, the fact that he is unwilling to do things, um, you know, just without question uh, for, for his employer makes uh makes him less of a person in their in in their eyes and we learn that bartleby the work has taken a physical toll his eyesight uh, is damaged but still he's expected to work on and there's very little done to actually help him if anything um the boss sort of tries at times but he doesn't try that hard and he gives up and he decides just to run away from it um and so we also learn the sort of backstory that uh, Bartleby had worked in a dead letter office, and it speaks to the that idea of you know we we, we lose sight of the impact that that uh, these jobs and, and things we do can have on other people. That while well, whereas you know some people get, become numb to um, tragedy they deal with through their employment, Bartleby became numb inside. He you know he didn't become numb to the issues. He became numb inside and and broken and very sad. So. A timely, timely story, and I really recommend it to you. Very thought-provoking. Um, what do we do about people who aren't who aren't fitting into the mold and who who are struggling? Do we try to help? How much do we try to help? Do we run away? Highly recommended. There it is. That's something I listened to this week. Bartleby the Scrivener by Herman Melville. Okay, I'm gonna also talk about a song that I had this week on repeat. That song being. N.Y. Doll by Robin Hitchcock. Uh, Robin Hitchcock, you may know, um, used to be with uh, yeah, was Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians. He's had his solo albums. Um, he's been making music for a very long time. Um, and this particular track, uh, New York Doll, is from the 2006 album Ole Tarantula. This is Robin Hitchcock and the Venus Three. Um, it's got also uh, Peter Buck from R.E.M. plays guitar on it. But uh, this song is, is really a beautiful song. It's certainly a different song than uh, Knuckles the Dog, although I think that's very beautiful in its own way. It's a different song than Starry Night by Iggy Pop, although I think that's beautiful in its own way. This is a song that is essentially um, a tribute or even a eulogy to a real person, that being Arthur Kane, a.k.a. Killer Kane, a uh, musician from the New York Dolls. Uh, New York Dolls, you might know, 1970s band, David Johansson was the lead singer, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Buster Poindexter. If you're a, a fan of the movie Scrooge, you might remember him as the taxi driver. But in real life, um, Arthur Kane uh, had addiction issues and um, was kicked out of the band and just fell apart and uh, went to Los Angeles. And he ended up joining the LDS church and uh, worked at a library 
And there's a documentary about this, which I recommend called New York Doll. And that's a 2005 documentary. It tells this story. And it's, it's a story that you would think is fiction, but it's absolutely true. He, Arthur Kane, had sort of wanted or dreamed of uh, coming to terms or, or peace with David Johansson. Um, it ends up happening, and you see this play out in the documentary. Morrissey had uh, organized um, a reunion concert, and it happens. And then tragically, Arthur Kane dies right after that. He turns out he has cancer, and he dies. And so this song is written in a first-person uh, point of view, but it's really telling the story of of Arthur Kane, and it's talking about... Um, yeah, legacy and reflection and, you know, regret, uh, justification, rationalization, but it's very beautiful. It's a, it's a, it's a moving tribute to someone's life and to be able to write such a song as this, uh, Robin Hitchcock being a genius in that regard, but to live a life that is, uh, you know, worthy of inspiring this type of song is incredible. So, uh, I cannot recommend enough. It's a song that you do want to put on repeat because it is so moving and each time you listen to it, I think you take away a different aspect of, of what is meant um, by these, these, I say, this sort of tribute or this eulogy uh, to um, Arthur Kane. An incredible story. Like I say, just a, you, you think it's made up, but it's not. This is, you know, stranger than fiction type of story, but very, very, very moving, plenty of tragedy, but ultimately, uh, you know, a, a redemption story in, in its own way. So the song, again, that's from the album Ole Tarantula, which is, a, which is a great album. I like that a lot. Robin Hitchcock, N.Y. Doll, that's my song for the week. Uh, give it a listen, okay? You can get it on whatever. I'm sure it's on, I know it's on Amazon Music. I'm sure it's on iTunes. Uh, get the album. Get the CD. Imagine that. I, I have the CD. Those things still exist. And, uh, in fact, right now, the CD's in my left hand. Whether you choose to believe that or not, that's up to you. All right, here we go. So let's move on. Next topic is music. Boom. Next topic. Uh, something I watched. Uh, I teased last week talking with John. I told you I would watch that uh, Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It. I'm not going to talk much about it. I did not enjoy it very much. I think the two main actors are really good. Patrick Wilson and uh, Vera Farmiga. I think they're very talented and I like the other ones. I thought they were fine. Um, this one, I don't know. This one, I'm sorry, it was missing something. It had a great kind of setup, but then, I don't know, it becomes like a detective story. Um, didn't, didn't, didn't care for it. Maybe it's your cup of tea, but that, that, it didn't do it for me. So, uh, I'm going to respectfully decline to re recommend to you The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, as you might remember, in the last two weeks, talked about, and so this is my bit, I'm going to keep it going as long as I can, which is probably not that much more, uh, but that is talking about uh, America's greatest living actor, Lizzie Kaplan, and I told you in episode one about you know, In the Mouth of Madness, The Empty Man, and uh, the, the Lizzie Kaplan shared universe. And you think, well, what do those things have to do with each other? This is a tease. Go back there. Go back and listen to episode one, and, and I'll explain it to you. Uh, episode two, I sort of elaborated on it a, a little bit more, added something to this shared universe. And now I'm going to add one more entry this week. 
Uh, again, that as a backstory, I'm, I'm talked about how the movie Save the Date from 2012, starring Lizzie Kaplan, all has uh, it's the it's the center of the shared universe. Uh, something that happens in that movie, a plot element uh, or an actor, um, takes place or is reflected in all of her other works. Either, you know, something happens in another work that mirrors a plot element in Save the Date, or there's an actor in Save the Date who's in another work, and then sometimes there's another work that relates to that other work. So it would make more sense if you listen, please. Uh, and so last week I added to the, the board, I added the imaginary board, maybe someday I'll actually, someone will write that down and make it, but uh, talked about Stephen Root, the actor who is the cult leader in The Empty Man. He's also in True Blood, uh, the Lizzie Kaplan character kidnaps him and then he's also in masters of sex season four uh i believe that's episode eight topeka well i've got a new entry from you brand new work i haven't mentioned yet it is a movie called high road uh high road is a comedy uh with a pretty good cast i might add uh the great joe latruglio from the state uh also party down season one episode nine the reunion uh is in it uh dylan o'brien you might remember from what's that the maze runner movies he's in it uh, i want to give the main character a lot of credit james pumphrey i thought he was very good in it um lizzie kaplan's in it she plays someone who is in a a uh, white stripes cover band um and guess what high road is directed by matt walsh who's that you say well that is the actor who played Cole Landry's agent in Party Down season two episode nine. Boom. That's called Synergy. Okay. Now here's something about this movie that uh, I didn't know until I read the box afterwards. I didn't read this, or maybe I just paid, didn't play close enough details. It's an improv movie, so this, the the dialogue is improv. I didn't know that until afterwards, and it sort of made sense because at times in this movie it was uh, um, I don't know unfocused. It has very funny moments. Um, has some not as funny moments uh, if I'm being completely candid and objective uh, so here we go here is how the high road relates to the uh, Lizzie Kaplan shared universe that is because in this movie high road in the beginning there is a concert and after the concert there is a breakup in this case it is uh, the main characters band breaks up guess what in the movie save the date there's a concert, not in the very beginning, but pretty close to the beginning, and it leads to a breakup. In that case, uh, the character Sarah, played by Lizzie Kaplan, her boyfriend, proposes to her. She says no, it's a breakup. So, there you go. Add another one to the rack. Save the date, a plot element in that, taking place in another one of her works. And so, as I say, I, I continue the theory, save the date is the, the keystone, the center of the Lizzie Kaplan shared universe. Uh, maybe I'll, next week I'll have another entry. There's only so many works left that I haven't seen or referenced. There are a few, though, so stay tuned. Oh, it's a big tease. Okay, here we go, though. Here's what I talk more about. I want to talk to you about uh, Rift Tracks Presents Time Chasers. It's a movie that I uh, watched in the last week. And uh, Rift Tracks, if you don't know, it's uh, Mike Nelson, Bill Corbett, and Kevin Murphy. And these gentlemen are formerly of Mystery Science Theater 3000, MST3K. And Rift Tracks is sort of the descendant of MST3K. 
Whereas in MST3K, you had uh, you had a story, right? Uh, first Joel, then Mike. They're they're um, captured by Doctor Forrester, and then later his mom, Pearl Forrester. They're put in the satellite in love. They're forced to watch bad movies, and ultimately the show is about um, uh, comedians watching movies and and cracking jokes throughout the movie. Well, in Rift Tracks, same thing happens, but there's no story. It's just them watching the movie. Uh, what I'm talking about right now is Rift Tracks Live, and then that's because they have live performances where there's an audience there, they're, they're watching the movie and making the jokes in front of the audience. I saw uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 Live a couple years ago in Cincinnati. That's the new Mystery Science Theater 3000 with Jonah Ray, which is on Netflix. Very, very funny. Uh, Jonah Ray's doing a great job with that. I guess there's like a crowdfunding thing, so there's going to be more of those episodes. Uh, Riff Tracks, you can go to rifftracks.com, R-I-F-F-T-R-A-X.com to see all their their catalog there. Um, This one, though, Riff Tracks Live, Time Chasers, uh, you can get on Amazon. It's on Amazon Prime. And Time Chasers, as you might know, is a movie that was riffed on Mystery Science Theater 3000. This is a new version. Well, it's not that new because it was filmed in 2016, uh, but it was new to me because I hadn't seen it before. I had seen Time Chasers on MST3K though, so uh, I like both of them because they both, you know, different jokes. Uh, if you're, an, you know, into more modern references, then you're gonna want to go with the Rift Tracks version. If you like any re- references, you know, the MST3K uh, maybe has some references that today are dated, but still hilarious. Okay, all of them are recommended. I also want to make a special recommendation to you to watch The Mads, that being Frank Conniff and Trace Beaulieu, who were uh, Dr. Forrester, was Trace, and then um, TV's Frank, being Frank Conniff in MST3K. Uh, and so eventbrite.com, it's like the second Tuesday of each month, they do a live streaming performance. And they've been doing it for about a year now since the pandemic. And it's really great. They're, they're great people. You, you know, you come to enjoy hearing them just talk uh, about whatever. There's a question and answer session. Uh, but they're also very, very funny. Uh, they, you know, a new movie is shown and they riff it. And I think what's coming up in July is um, Night of Shorts, which is, uh, which is always a good time. So go to eventbrite.com and, I, and the Mads, uh, M-A-D-S, and you can buy your tickets there. Uh, also, they have a YouTube channel now. So having said that, let's get to Time Chasers. Time Chasers is a movie that has a very special place in my heart. And the reason is because it was filmed in the Rutland, Vermont area in the year 1990. Well, I'm going to let you the world in on a secret. It's not a secret because people in my life know it, obviously. I lived in Rutland, Vermont in the year 1990. And unbeknownst to me, this movie was being filmed. I had no idea until I watched several years ago the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode. And first of all, I saw the main character wears a shirt that says Castleton, that being Castleton University, which is a school just outside of Rutland. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And then I started noticing all these area spots and realizing that it looked an awful lot like uh, Deer, Rutland, Vermont. And guess what it is? So... Maybe for all you folks that live in Los Angeles or Atlanta, you know, and you're used to seeing uh, places that you live, you know, being shown in movies. Uh, well, for the rest of us, I'm not, or, you know, we're not. So it's really a, 
it's 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 a nice thing or you say wow look at that time chasers is is a movie that you <laughs> would objectively say is not good um, but you know what it deserve the, the filmmakers deserve a lot of credit one because hey they made a movie uh that's something to be proud of it's made with a lot of heart um it's it's made with a lot of sincerity and also i would say they did the best they could um under the circumstances having said that all it is uh you know objectively not a good movie um but enjoyable you know it's not citizen kane but it's very enjoyable uh and it's perfect for riffing and so the thing about riffing is you know they're not attacking these people personally it's it's they're they're joking about plot elements and maybe some acting choices and uh things that are are um difficult to follow in the story or maybe some uh special effects that aren't great um and hey it's all fair game right uh also want to say riff tracks um bridget nelson and mary joe peel are doing a lot of um uh, work together and I think they've had some of the funniest stuff of all lately they did a riff of uh, Wonder Woman 1984 which is a perfect movie to riff if you consider sort of the logical inconsistencies all of that always is perfect fodder um, so check that out go to rifftracks.com in Time Chasers you have um, a gentleman uh, played by the actor Matthew Brutch I had to look that up he plays Nick Miller, by the way, Time Chasers, directed by David Krakola, according to Wikipedia. All right. Uh, and so the movie is about time travel, a, a movie with no budget about time travel. So first of all, it's a brave group of folks. You got to give them credit for that. Now, how is this time travel accomplished? Well, our, our main character has a old desktop computer. He has a um, kind of like a single engine plane. It appears to be working out of the Rutland Airport, um, and he's figured out time travel using <laughs> using this old computer on on an airplane. You're just gonna have to go with it. Uh, like any time travel movie, uh, it opens itself up to a lot of uh, inconsistency or questions about um, you know uh, time continuum, right? Uh, the bad things that are going to happen, wouldn't they always be going to happen? So the first time in the movie this person goes to the future, uh, everything's great. Uh, but then the next time it's not. Uh, wouldn't it always be the bad? I don't know. Anyway, don't think too much about it, I guess. Um, although, that's perfect material for riffing, in my view. Uh, there's the... <laughs> the city, you know, it, it's a funny movie in that it's it's clearly got a bunch of things from a you know, fairly small area, but it, you know, it's supposed to be the city and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's funny. It's a low budget movie. And I can say there's a lot of sincerity to it. And I think that's what makes it, uh, enjoyable. Um, and so you have, uh, a lot of questions about, um, why they're, you know, the bad guys or the evil corporation, they're going to assassinate the, um, the, the, the person who's discovered time travel. So to do that, they take him back to a random date during colonial times. Why would they do that? No idea. I, the, the guess is that they had colonial, you know, reenactors or like revolutionary war reenactors. So that was why they went with it. Who knows? I'm speculating. I'm not sure. And the movie doesn't really make it clear either. Uh, also, um, the idea, you know, is that the day will be saved if they can just, 
stop the time travel, but if it was easy enough for this guy, some random guy to get a laptop or a desktop computer, put it in a plane to figure out time travel, isn't somebody else going to figure it out? Probably, but don't think about it. It's time chasers. It's very funny. Riff Tracks, uh, com. This particular uh, movie, Riff Tracks Live, doing time chasers is on Amazon. Watch it. It's a good time. It's a good, uh, enjoyable way to kick back and spend a, an hour and a half or so uh, and laugh. That's a good way to not crack up. Oh, did you see what I did there? Going back to the theme, don't crack up. Okay, so that's what I was watching this week. All kinds of things. Let's move on. I'm going to say, I'm going to skip the reading section because I'm going to be honest with you. Although I did make some progress in reading Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff, as well as Naval Gazing by Michael Ian Black. I didn't finish either of them, so I don't have anything new to add. That's just the truth, okay? All right, let's move on. Music. What I've been doing each week, I'm going to do right now, which is throw in a pitch um, there's no sponsor to this program, at least as of right now. I don't imagine that anyone ever would. Hey, who knows though, right? Uh, and so I'm going to make a, I'm going to do the opposite of telling you what we're sponsored by. Nobody. And instead, I'm going to make a pitch to you to donate to a, a very worthy, in my opinion, uh, nonprofit organization, that being the Louisville Legal Aid Society. I am not employed by the Louisville Legal Aid Society. They have not asked me to do this. They don't know I'm doing this. They don't, you know, endorse anything I've said on this show ever. Uh, I want to make that clear. This is just me independently um, reaching out to you and saying the Louisville Legal Aid Society is a very important and worthy organization. It provides uh, legal services to low-income individuals in need, to the homeless, to veterans, to domestic violence victims worthy cause. If you are feeling charitable, which I know is difficult in these tough times, uh, www.lasloo.org. There's a donate button. If you go to their website, there's a donate button. Click on that. Or you could go to yourlegalaid, with no E, .org. And it should take you to the same page, I think, as the lasloo.org. Click that donate button. Or your legal aid, no e, dot org, uh, slash donate. So that's a shortcut. Again, a worthy, important cause, the Louisville Legal Aid Society. If you have it in your heart, if you have a little extra money, please consider giving. Okay, you know what? Let's get right to it. Let's talk about Party Down. Insert some music. Okay, here we are. Once again, this is the third installment uh, of me talking about one of the greatest shows in the history of television, Party Down, a comedy, at least on at least by category, a comedy uh, that aired uh, on the Stars Network 2009 to 2010. Uh, if you want to watch it, which I recommend you do, please do. It's uh, if you subscribe to Stars, you'll see it. If you subscribe to Hulu, it's on there. Uh, it's for sale on Amazon. It's for sale on uh, iTunes. Uh, the cheapest way, I think, to get it is if you buy the physical copy um, of the DVDs on Amazon. Uh, you can get the whole series, both 
both seasons, all 20 episodes, for quite cheap. Uh, and so, there's really no excuse for you to not watch it. As always, spoilers, 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 spoilers. I'm going to talk about the whole show, okay? Uh, I think that even if you haven't seen it, you could listen and then watch it and still get just as much out of it. Uh, but, you know, please, you've been warned. Spoilers. And please watch the show. The show, uh, again, it aired season one, I think it was 2009. Season two was in the year 2010. Uh, and the show was created by John Enbaum, Rob Thomas, Dan Etheridge, and Paul Rudd. So give them all the credit. Uh, as far as writing each episode, it seems like uh, in the credits, teleplay, quote-unquote, is credited to John Enbaum primarily. So I don't want to misstate anything to you, but the show creators uh, and then teleplay generally is by John Enbaum. So let's talk about Ron Donald. He is uh, played by the outstanding Ken Marino, uh, in my life, most famous for being in the state. That was the MTV sketch comedy show, the greatest sketch comedy show in the history of sketch comedy shows that aired uh, in the early 90s. Uh, I think you can see it now on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, you can buy the DVDs. Uh, keep in mind, because of copyright issues, some of the music got changed. Still, 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 just as funny. Um, but if you want the original, I, I know that I was able to get a copy of a VHS called uh, Skits and Stickers. And it had um, uh, Cannonball by the Breeders back into it in the Pants sketch. And then Barry Levon sketch, uh, Marvin Gaye, I believe. So, But it, it had two licensed songs in it. So that's another way. Uh, that Years and years and years ago, I bought that VHS uh, at a Blockbuster tragically i believe it was stolen from me or i lost it you know i don't know for sure but i was able to get another copy on the ebay so there's no excuse you've got to watch the state if you haven't seen it already timeless it holds up as i said in the first episode important summertime sketch i know we're off topic i'm going to bring it right back to the to the <laughs> to party down but uh i just can't can't pass this opportunity by if you've never seen the state watch the swimming uh, the swimming cramps uh, skit. It is the summer. People are going uh, swimming, and that is a sketch I always think of when it's time to swim. So there we go. Ken Reno currently uh, I saw a show recently called The Other Two. I watched it on HBO Max. Very funny. He's in that playing uh, the manager of a of a teen pop star. Uh, Wanderlust. You might know him from the, that movie. Uh, I want to. Uh, he was the director, I think, of How to Be a Latin Lover. When I, for the third straight episode, I want to recommend to you Burning Love. Watch it. Uh, I believe his wife directed it. Uh, he and his wife, I think, wrote it. It's very, very, very funny. Uh, you can rent each season as a, as a movie. You can watch all the episodes for one season, rent it as a movie. Michael Ian Black's in it. Everyone's in it. Adam Scott is in it from Party Down, of course. Um, Ryan Hansen is in it. Martin Starr is in it. All these Party Down folks appear three seasons of it um watch it if you want to laugh so let's get to ron donald okay ron is different than the other characters in that uh he has no aspirations whatsoever to be 
in the entertainment industry. Uh, not even like Lydia who wants to manage her daughter. Ron's not interested in that. Instead, um, he wants to just be successful. He's interested in business or whatever success would mean. Let's put it that way. Having said that, Ron is every bit the dreamer. Ron is, in fact, maybe our most fully formed character. And that is because, unlike maybe Henry, who doesn't say what he means, or Casey, who is you know, more guarded, Ron is not guarded. Ron does say what he means, and Ron just lets it all out there. His thoughts, uh, his thoughts, his dreams, his aspirations, his self-reflection. And Ron has quite a journey. Uh, we see, you know, Ron die, be reborn, die again, be reborn again. Uh, of course, you know, spiritually, not, not literally, or else he, the character couldn't be on the show, could they now? But yes, but spiritually we see death, rebirth, death, rebirth. Uh, really, there's two different Rons, or maybe there's three. You know, the, the first season, Ron is fairly naive it would, and, and disconnected from um reality season two we get more of um we get a broken ron and then we get a sort of reborn ron that uh is maybe more grounded so it's quite a journey Let, let's talk first about ron's origins what do we know about ron well we know that ron has a history of partying okay and he has been high or drunk for decades, is, is what we learn. Henry comes back uh, to work at Party Down. We, there's a history between them. Henry is shocked to learn uh, what Ron is like now, the new Ron. This is Ron with the buzz cut, Ron who is the team leader. Ron who's trying. I mean, he really is trying to be successful. Uh, he has worked at Party Down for some time. As I said, he worked with Henry before. Uh, now he's not partying Ron, he is Ron the team leader, and we see this, this journey. Uh, right from the beginning we learn that he uh, has these aspirations, he wants to have his own restaurant, Super Crackers, he wants to run it. Uh, we learn about you know, these plans, he wants to franchise and have different franchises and, and be rich and be successful. Does that happen during the show's run? No, it does not. <laughs> but does he find some semblance of happiness? Yes, he does. Uh, so Ron has um, a naivety about him, particularly in the first season. He thinks, apparently sincerely, that it's so simple. He's going to get his one franchise. It's going to lead to another franchise. It's going to lead to another franchise, and that ultimately he could, you know, is going to become a billionaire. He talks about in season one, uh, episode four, the investor's dinner, that being an episode where a con man fairly easily rips him off because of, as I said, that naivety. You have Ron um, with good intentions, but going about things the wrong way. That's kind of a recurring theme. Uh, Ron also is, uh, speaking of themes, Ron is... Uh, quickly punished, I would say. The, the Party Down universe is quick to punish Ron Donald. He takes a lot of physical abuse. It's the most, I think, physical comedy in the whole show is by Ken Marino as Ron Donald, who is hitting the groin, hitting the back, hitting the face. It's pretty common 
and recurrent theme with Mr. Ron Donald. But Ron will take a punch and get back up. So to his credit, uh, Ron, uh, big, big theme with Ron is seeking out objective achievement for approval and for self-worth. He, you know, he's the team leader. That, that's a management position, even though it's you know, probably the, the lowest manager. That means something to him, and he's proud of it, and he wants people to know that. In fact, he wants to show his high school that. He chooses to uh, cater his own reunion as a way of showing his classmates that he is, is a somebody now. He's a team leader. It being party down, uh, it, it doesn't go so well. It blows up, as you would imagine, uh, for party down. And so he, he, he seeks out, and, it, it, and it's, it's understandable. He wants to be able to say, look, here I am. I am team leader. Here I am. I'm running a super cracker. See, um, I've done something. I've put my life together. I'm a somebody. So we, we can relate to Ron. We understand Ron. Um, we feel for Ron. We cringe because Ron doesn't see what's going to happen next, even though it's painfully obvious. For example, the, the most obvious example is the reunion. Well-meaning, he wants to show his classmates that, he, you know, I'm doing good, quote-unquote. They don't say that. but And we know how people are. We know they're not going to respect that. We know it's going to blow up, and it does. Humiliation. Ron gets humiliated quite a bit. And part of that is because of another theme with Ron is that he breaks his own rules. Okay, one of the, the, the key one example being uh, Ron saying no personal business on company time. But over and over in the show, he breaks that rule. He does personal business or attempts to on company time. And each time uh, it blows up. And each time. He is punished in some way. As I said, theme, party down universe, is quick to punish Ron Donald. So many examples of, of the breaking the rule of no personal business on, on company time. Uh, season 1, episode 2, he, he thinks he's going to meet uh, then-Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, and somehow that's going to spring, you know, it, it's going to lead to a photo that's going to be part of his Super Crackers restaurant and all that. That doesn't go well. It blows up. Uh, season one, episode four, being the most glaring example, in which he he thinks he's going to make an investment, and somehow that's going to lead to the money needed um, to uh, open his own restaurant. Well, he was there to cater. He wasn't there to make an investment. So that was personal business on company time. And guess what? He gets ripped off. Not only does he get ripped off, uh, he gets humiliated, um, gets a gun stuck in his face, wets himself, and is uh, photographed having urinated himself. Poor Ron. <laughs> Poor Ron is something we say throughout the series. The high school graduation, I talked about it. And so you, you just have time after time these examples of uh, personal business on company time blowing up, including uh, season one, episode five, the Sensation Awards. He's, a, he's approach, approached by a adult film producer about uh, getting Ron to have an adult film career gets hit in the groin it blows up okay so and that that third theme is something I talked about already physical abuse poor poor Ron he gets hit over and over and over again um, he does have high points particularly the end of both seasons tend to end well for Ron 
he might get beat up throughout, but in the end, he, he had he had some good things happen to him at the end of the first season. Although he is, you know, on the, the cliff's edge after having been rejected by his uh, high school classmates, Henry reaches out, Henry helps him, and at the very end of season one, we learn that he is going to get his Super Crackers restaurant. He's, he's going to go into business with the owner, then owner of Party Down, uh, Alan Duck, and he's going to get his Super Crackers restaurant. Guess what? That doesn't end up uh, working out. But nevertheless, at the end of season one, he has that. End of season two, he's got the love of his life. Um, he, he's met someone. And uh, Danielle, her name is Lagash, the, the daughter of the owner in the second season. Uh, Bolas Lagash, owner of Party Down. He has taken a risk. He's put himself out there. And it's worked out and that he's in a relationship now with someone that he loves, someone he cares about. So those things go well. Now, of course, it being party down, the show ends with the two of them arguing about bird food or something. But still, he he, he ends up uh, with the person he wants to be with. So he ha- he does have high points. Low points, as I've already talked about, so very, very many of them. High school graduation. Um, really, something that happens, the, the Super Crackers franchise he gets that opportunity to run it it happens in between season one and season two it happens off screen well of course it has to happen off screen right because each episode takes place at an event so ron to get him at the event would not be running the super crackers franchise so great writing i might add all the credit in the world to uh, the show creators and the show writers so that doesn't work out so we, we we meet broken ron and spiraling ron at the beginning of season two so that doesn't work out. There are um, those being the key kind of low points after the graduation and then the beginning of season two, really episodes one through four. It's just a an arc of, of him spiraling. And by the way, that's some, just those are some of the, the best Ron moments. Uh, and I'll talk more about that. I'll go through the episodes because the performances are so great. Um, as I said, you know, season two, because of the Supercrackers dream, uh, not working out, the, the, the dream being shattered, it, it, it leads to op- moments and opportunities for Ron to reflect, uh, which he does so well. I mean, it, it's, it, he is a very endearing character because you can relate, I can relate to Ron and, and him contemplating mortality and contemplating legacy and, you know, like anybody looking to um, objective achievements to, to be able to say, look, I've, I've done something. His, his best moments, now this being subjective, this being things that I like the best, uh, I would say the there's a, a moment in season uh, two, uh, episode four, uh, where he's, he's singing a blues song with Kyle, and he's talking about everything he's lost and where he is in his life. I think it's uh, one of the funniest moments in the show. Um, and I, I will say, I'm just going to kind of blend best moments with my favorite and then favorite performance. I think the best Ron Donald episode is season two, episode four, that being the James Ellison funeral. In this episode, we have just a shattered Ron, a depressed Ron, and the funeral becomes this opportunity for him to reflect on life and legacy. And uh, I think it's one of the, I I think it's an underrated episode. I know, you know, people talk about the show and, and they talk, of course, about the, Steve Gutenberg birthday. They talk about celebrate Ricky Sargulish, but the the funeral episode because of 
Ken Marino as Ron Donald, I, I think it's one of the, the very best, arguably, although it is not an episode that really has a lot to do with um, the Casey or, or uh, Henry relationship and um, or really those characters kind of moving in, in any direction. But it's just the circumstances for the show to be able to pull off a funeral, you know, to be as funny as it is, but also as reflective and, and relatable and um, profound because of the Ron Donald arc. And in that episode, he goes from being down, contemplating legacy, to being reborn. And how is he reborn? Well, he locks himself, he gets locked in a, in a coffin, getting high. Um, and we learn important morality, uh, important lesson, life lesson, don't get into a coffin, number one, if you're alive. Uh, don't get in a coffin to get high. And don't get in a coffin and shut the, the lid. Just don't do any of those. You know, uh, I wouldn't recommend it. And then you have, so, uh, Ron is reborn as a result of it. Season two, episode four, I think that's the, the best Ron stuff. Although I will also say season one, episode 10, the, um, the wedding in which Ron is, is spiraling. Uh, those are also great Ron moments. Uh, he's in the van. He's wondering what he's done with his life. He, he feels worthless and, and Henry comes in to, to cheer him up. Uh, but actually in that episode, there's this, uh, there's this plot with the motivational system. Ron has paid, uh, for a series of motivational cards. And, uh, I think that's some of the funniest stuff too. Uh, he's walking around, you know, kind of with the cards, um, talking, trying to psych himself up to get through it. Um, Tragic, but very, very funny. And it just speaks to me. I don't know. So let's get into it. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about his arc. Let's talk about what happens with Ron. Um, Ron in season one, episode one, he, he, he is uh, our entryway in that he is telling us about Party Down. The show starts with his face and he's, he's talking about party down and, and what you can expect from it. Of course, it's the difference between uh, the way he describes the professionalism and the actual professionalism of the crew, I'm sure, as you could guess, is, is, is apparent. There is a disconnect. Uh, and I'm going to keep saying the word disconnect because that is a theme with Ron, particularly in season one. There's a disconnect between what he thinks he's going to accomplish or what he thinks, um, you know, the the client wants and uh what he thinks you know people's true natures are versus what they really are we learn right away comment cards are very important to him and it fits with the theme of sort of objective achievement right if he, if he gets someone to write on this card that they've done a good job then that's proof they've done a good job so he, he wants the comment card but uh, he tries to force it and of course as we know party down universe punishes ron if he if he sort of steps out of any bounds of, of uh, acceptable conduct or straightforward conduct. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm articulating it well, but I would just say if any sort of karmic rules are violated by uh, Ron, he is punished very quickly. So he tries to force the comment card at the end. It doesn't work out. Uh, and so Ron, interesting in, in season one, episode one, he, he relays to us how hard he is trying. He's trying to be a good leader. He's trying to run uh, a tight ship. 
he has gone to a sensitivity training class, but the problem is he doesn't, he's not picked up on the spirit of sensitivity training. Instead, he's taken it as sort of a set of concrete rules of things he can and cannot say. Uh, and it leads to awkward moments. Uh, he tries, he tries too much, really. Uh, it seems like he tries, you know, with that old saying, you're trying too hard. And that is, that is uh, Ron. Uh, Henry comes back in season one, episode one, and Henry being the way that we know that this is the new Ron. Henry being the one who can articulate to the audience that this is a different person than we saw before. Uh, and Henry coming back is problematic for Ron and because, one, Henry uh, goes against the homeowner's wishes and overserves the the husband, uh, which leads to the husband getting uh, intoxicated and making a fool of himself, and two, Henry falls in the pool, which sets off a chain of events leading to embarrassment. So uh, Henry's come back, and it's it's not <laughs> poor Ron. It's not going well for him. Uh, I do want to point out now one issue to to consider as you watch this series is sort of ranking the team leaders throughout the series. Three people that we know are team leaders: one, uh, Ron, in season one, and then later in season two, Henry. And uh, team leader for, you know, the majority of season two, and then tech, and really has the title throughout season two, but he, he lets Ron do it at the end. Uh, and then three, Uta Banked from uh, Valhalla Catering, who we learned was a former Party Down employee, who is sort of Ron's um, nemesis in that she is the successful, runs a tight ship um, team leader, and of course we know Ron isn't. Uh, and so... I would it appears that clearly Uda is the most effective team leader. When it comes to the other two, between Ron and Henry, Henry, without even wanting to be, it seems, is arguably the more effective team leader. Although we don't have that much of a sample size because much of Henry as team leader happens between seasons, so we don't know. Uh, but we do know that when the whole gang is together, the whole cast that we know, there's always going to be issues there's always going to be things happening and the crew is going to keep keep together no matter what or at least the core crew is gonna so season two episode two as i talked about it it sort of introduces this personal business aspect of it because ron sees this conservative gathering as an opportunity he's going to shake arnold's hand it's going to mean a lot to him he's getting he's going to get a picture taken that's going to be put up in super crackers that he he hopes to have someday uh, because he's striving for these sort of extra business um, benefits or these goals outside of just team leading party down. Uh, it doesn't work out. He ends up burning a flag. <laughs> he ends up, you know, flag gets stained to make up for it. He burns a flag. A very funny episode. I might add uh, a really enjoyable um, episode and, it's a Ron uh, humiliation episode. He ends up making a fool of himself, which is completely, uh, you know, uh, foreseeable to us, the audience, to Henry, to everyone else. But there's that disconnect. Ron thinks that somehow he'll be able to just burn a flag and, and replace the one that, that he bleached. And, it, you know, it's obvious to all of us except Ron, a recurrent theme. Ep season two, I'm sorry, season one, episode three, uh, this is a high point for Ron in, in many ways because 
we hear the um, we 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 right away in the beginning he talks about no personal business on company time. That's when the line is said uh, in that episode. He ends up having a happy ending. He gets a good comment card, and really because in that episode he sort of stays in his lane. Uh, now he goes and he catches uh, Henry and Constance getting high. He doesn't bust them. He tries to give them a pep talk in his way. A guy has a heart you know a heart attack. He tries to give him CPR. Um, and in the end, he gets the excellent comment card. So it all worked. It all works out for Ron. Uh, he stays in his lane. He does the best he can, and he gets the good comment card. And I guess that's the way I want to articulate it. In the Party Down universe, when Ron does not stay in his lane, when he gets into something related to super crackers or whatever it is, humiliation comes. And the probably one of the two. Most obvious examples takes place next in season one, episode four, this being the investor's dinner. Uh, he's in awe of this man who projects himself as this successful businessman. And guess what? He's not. He's, the, the guy's a con man. Uh, and Ron is so very easily suckered. He's suckered because of his naivety. He's suckered because of his disconnect. He thinks that he thinks that that's the way the world really works. If he hands this guy money, he doesn't have to do anything, and all of a sudden he's going to get his his profit. You know, he's going to get double profits and all these things. And so, uh, to the rest of us, we can see the foolishness. But Ron, in his naivety and in his disconnect uh, from reality, in many ways, uh, gets taken. He's easy prey, and he is truly, truly humiliated. Not only is his his money taken. Uh, but he urinates his pants, picture gets taken of it. Uh, he steps into, you know, uh, he steps into it, as they say, literally and figuratively, um, with some, with some dog, uh, excrement on his shoe. And so poor Ron, that's a tough episode for him. Season one, episode four. Uh, now if we're going to be like, oh, but um, of course he could, you know, do a stop payment on the check, but you know. It's the show. It's a comedy show, and it's a half-hour show. So we at least see on the screen, as of the end of the episode, his money's been taken, and he's, you know, wet himself, and he's utterly humiliated. Poor Ron. Speaking of humiliation, season one, episode five. This is the Adult Film Awards, the Sensation Awards after party. Uh, the episode starts. Ron has made this uh, he, he's, he's always ready with his super crackers um, presentation he's, he's got it you know laminated the owner of the company she shows up he's he, alan duck he shows him this nothing happens the owner doesn't buy he's kind of giving him the runaround so ron's very upset well this adult film producer uh learns that ron is is well endowed and there's there's one of the things of the show right like He's a uh, Ron is, is not a particularly uh, self-confident person, but it turns out he has uh, certain assets, uh, and one of those being he's um, he's well endowed, and he gets a adult film um, opportunity presented to him. Uh, but you know what, Ron is not real keen on this uh, because, and this speaks to uh, a larger issue, and which the show addresses, and we talked about that with Henry last week, which is. Yes, you might have the chance to make more money, but is it something that you can be proud of or is it something that you want to do? Is it something that's going to bring you um, enjoyment? And he's clearly not very keen on this and he's embarrassed. And uh, in the end, he ends up getting hit in the groin. It doesn't work out. 
But when he when the episode ends, he ends with a smile. Why? Because the owner uh, Alan Duck did read his presentation. So the hard work that he did, you know, legitimately, uh, it did make an impression. And so even though he has been embarrassed, even though he's been physically hurt, he ends with a smile because there's hope. There's hope that he is going to get his Super Crackers restaurant after all. Not because of any shortcuts, but because he took the time and he made his um, he made a presentation and he did some research. So good for Ron. Season one, episode six. Uh, this is uh, Ron spends time with uh, was it Drew Grizzle played by Kevin Hart. Uh, Ron gets high in this episode. Um, secondhand smoke um, gets high, and part of what the reason that happens is because he you know he's always. He's always ready. He's always on the prowl to talk about Super Crackers. He overhears uh, Kevin Hart's character mention something about a franchise because that's uh, Drew Grizzle, the rapper, has his own kind of franchise going. And so he overhears it, and then he takes the opportunity to start talking um, to to Kevin Hart's character um, about Super Crackers. No personal business on company time. He breaks that rule. He ends up getting secondhand high. And guess what? He gets a terrible comment card. And part of that, again, is his disconnect. Uh, Leonard Stiltskin, the producer, played by J.K. Simmons, uh, is not really uh, on board with Ron and his, his cheerfulness, but he, 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 Ron doesn't read that. Um, and in the end, uh, you know, Ron's high munching on Cheetos or puffballs or whatever, uh, making uh, Stiltskin mad, gets a terrible, terrible comment card. But a very funny episode. All right. Uh, also, we learned that Ron is a Sting fan. I wouldn't have guessed that, but he says he says he's a Sting fan. So, season one, uh, episode seven, as I've said both times, one of my very favorites, the um, the Brandex corporate retreat. Uh, we learned that it's actually a telemarketing company's corporate retreat, but it's got all those ridiculous team building exercises, which are you know which are real, which really happen, and Ron loves it. The ridiculous, the foolish team building stuff I say that but I, I, I know there's value and some people really believe in that stuff I'm not a, a big proponent as you can see uh, or you can as you can infer you don't have to infer it I'm saying it explicitly so anyway um, Ron loves it and here's the thing though Ron steps out of bounds and he gets humiliated what happens he he, he wants to have better teamwork that's a that's a worthy goal you know, he wants Party Down to function uh, better. That's a worthy goal. That's, but he takes a shortcut. He he tries to steal or quote unquote borrow the materials without permission of the team building people, and it blows up. One because he didn't read the room. There's that disconnect. He his group of uh, his group of folks at Party Down are not really the team building exercise types. And instead of it building team chemistry, it does the exact opposite. Uh, Henry and Casey's hooking up, gets exposed, causes a rift, causes problems. And, uh, you know, there's <laughs> balls are thrown, all kinds of things are happening. Uh, then, of course, the actual team uh, building company catches them and says that the company is going to be built, Party Down is going to be built for using their materials, which, again, foreseeable. All of us could see it coming, except Ron. He thought he would sneak it out. You know, he thought he would borrow these materials. He thought the team building would, would go really well, and, and the company would be better off. Party Down would be better off. 
None of that happens. None of that happens. Uh, there's that disconnect. Season 1, Episode 8 is not really much of a Ron episode. Celebrate Ricky Sargulish. Uh, because Ron is the only individual who doesn't have any connection to the entertainment industry, he's not recognized by anyone at the party uh, from any, any work he's done or... You know, he's not like Roman's recognized as a writer, so Ricky has him read his script. None of that happens. Ron is the worker, and so he spends this episode working. He, he has to carry a, a, he has to do everyone's job. Um, so we feel for Ron in that regard. Uh, we do learn, though, a little more about Ron as the character, and we learn that at one time he had a relationship with another Party Down employee. And we learned that he was uh, the victim of some uh, domestic violence, apparently. He was hit by a rake uh, from the person he was in a relationship at that time. So it adds to, a, to the character. Um, but it's not an episode where uh, he, is, uh, he doesn't have any plots or schemes or anything going on in it. He's working, and he's being overworked, actually. Uh, great episode. Did I say that for all of them? Yeah, because I, that's how I feel. So I'm sorry if I keep repeating it. And whereas the Celebrate Ricky Sargulish... He is not at the forefront of that episode. Exact opposite. In season one, episode nine, that is the uh, James Rolfe High School 20th reunion. So this is, as we learn, Ron's high school, and this is Ron's 20th reunion. Uh, he is catering the reunion as the team leader. Uh, and he thinks that it is going to lead to the admiration, or at least the respect, of his uh, classmates, they're going to see him. They're going to say, "Wow, good for you, man! You're a team leader now." And whereas a respectful person uh, might think that a, a nice person, but you know, this is <laughs> Ron. That disconnect. He is. Uh, I'm sorry. He's overestimating people uh, and, and and good nature. And so instead, they are cruel, and he is rejected. We learn uh, his in his backstory that he tried to chug a bottle of, of liquor uh, at this senior fling or some senior event. It didn't work out and ended up ruining the event. Well, guess what happens here? Ron chugs a, uh, a bottle of liquor again. Now, the event happens anyway. I don't think he, he didn't ruin it, but um, he did humiliate himself uh, throughout. He, he ends up, um, and this is where he went out of, out of his lane and it blew up. He's, he tries to um, hook up with the class president and if he hadn't chugged that bottle of booze on stage in front of everyone uh, he would have had a chance as it turns out because in the end uh, she's rejected and then she turns to Ron but Ron is wasted from having gone on stage and chugged a bottle of booze and the, and the episode ends with violent, violent vomiting face down, or I guess his face is on his side, pool of uh, vomit. Poor, poor Ron. So we feel for Ron. Um, we also feel for Ron because he has to ask his um, employees to pretend that they respect him. And so he's acknowledging, you know, sort of the, 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 um, the, the true nature of the crew, I guess you'd say, and their, their feelings towards him. Not all of them. Henry, of course, uh, respects Ron. But he's, he, uh, he asks all of them, and but he goes too far. They agree that they're going to respect him, but he, he, he tests them, right? He puts, he kind of embarrasses his employees just to prove to everyone else that they respect him. And, uh, 
again, in the end, he's humiliated. We also learned um, he had a best friend named uh, Donnie, uh, played by Joe Latruglio, his former state uh, mate. Uh, and they are sort of mirror images in that they both uh, apparently are living in their parents' garage. Um, apparently, when they were younger, they said that their dream was just to have beer money and a, and a roof over their head. Uh, Donnie took that to heart, and that's what he has. He has a beer money and a roof over his head, and he lives in his parents' garage. We learned from the investors' dinner that apparently Ron's been living in his parents' garage, but he's doing it to save money to start the Super uh, Crackers franchise. So we see that difference there. Uh, there is one person who is, who is impressed by uh, Ron being team leader, and that being Donnie. Of course, uh, Ron is trying to avoid uh, Donnie. He's trying to move past it. He's not that same person. Uh, but in the end, uh, he is. He gets get drunk. So the, getting drunk in the senior event embarrassed himself. Getting drunk at the graduation embarrassed himself. So the cycle continues, which leads into season one, episode ten. Ron is spiraling. Of course, he's spiraling. He just um, got embarrassed uh, at his at his reunion. He was rejected by his classmates, but he has paid for this uh, motive. I think it's the Bentway motivational system. Very funny stuff. Him walking around, uh, reading the inspirational cards, trying to psych himself up. Uh, right away, though, Uda Bank, a former party down uh, worker who is now the successful team leader of Valhalla, comes in uh, and puts him in his place, and he spirals right away. Goes back to drinking, uh, questioning his existence, falling apart. But it's a great Henry episode. Henry comes in, and we see some of the most touching moments of this series which I've talked about uh, Ron at his lowest in, in the van questioning everything uh, Henry trying to talk him out of it one of the best moments in the whole series great performances by Ken Marino and Adam Scott and in the end the uh, season one ends with Ron getting that Super Crackers franchise so through all the pain and all the suffering and all the humiliation, the season ends with Ron getting that franchise that he always dreamed of. So hooray for Ron, right? Finally, good things are happening. Well, it's party down, folks. So, season two kicks off. We don't know where Ron is when it starts. Where is he? Henry's there. Henry's the team leader. Henry's firing somebody that we don't know. A uh, new character shows up. Lydia. Uh, Casey returns, but no Ron is in sight. Well, as it turns out, Ron's, um, I would call it the second death. And I think the first death happens before we, before the show starts. Then, you know, when, when the series starts season one, episode one, this is new Ron. So the partying Ron has died. This is new Ron. Um, and that runs through season one, all the way to the end of season, uh, or season one, episode nine, you know, season one, episode ten, he's teetering. He's 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 going back to his ways, but but he does get the Super Crackers franchise, so he got what he wants, right? Well, the second death occurs off screen. Super Crackers does not work out. We don't know that though till later in the episode. Ron returns. He's got a like a muscle car, like a Camaro. He's got a young girlfriend named Mandy, and. Uh, 
he doesn't uh, disclose initially that Super Crackers went bankrupt. Uh, that's not until Mandy discloses it to Casey and Henry. And what, I think what we see in season two, episode one, is Ron is spiraling, but he has sort of the, but he's in denial in some way. I don't say denial. He's got distractions. Yes, I think that's the better way to articulate it. Ron is spiraling, but he's got distractions from that spiral. He's in this relationship with Mandy. Uh, he's still got his Camaro. And so he's sort of not having to acknowledge that his dream uh, died, that it didn't work out, and that there has to be a new order. Um, so he avoids that with uh, with Mandy. Mandy's almost like a drug in and of, in of herself, a uh, way of... Uh, numbing or not acknowledging what's happening. And so we do learn, though, at the end of season two, episode one, he's going broke. He will acknowledge that. He needs money, he says, in order to, you know, please Mandy. So again, the sort of a drug uh, parallel there. Oh, by the way, another physical, <laughs> another physical abuse thing happens in, uh, in season two, episode one, he gets tased. So add that to the list of physical abuse. Moving on. Season two, episode two, Ron is back. He is back at Party Down, uh, the Precious Lights preschool auction. Ron is back. He's back in Party Down, but he has been brought lower. He is not team leader. He is um, just a worker, you know. So this is where we get into cycles. The, the show starts with Henry coming back, dream shattered. Ron team leader. Season two starts, Ron coming back, dream shattered, Henry team leader. Uh, and whereas in season one, episode one, Henry coming back causes problems, making Ron's job harder. Season two, episode two, Ron explicitly does things to make Henry's job harder. Ron takes the opportunity to sort of act out or lash out against Henry uh, takes his pills, uh, mopes, um, says, look, this is what you did to me, um, stirs things up with the tip jar. The, the running theme in the, sh uh, the show is that they're always wrong about the tip jar. When they, when they do put it out, it doesn't work out. When they don't put it out, it does work out. So one of the many um, things that go wrong for the crew in Party Down is the tip jar, kind of a running, a running joke there. Uh, so uh, Ron comes back and causes so very many problems for Henry. Um, and guess what? He steps out of bounds. He goes out of his lane and he causes problems for himself. He plays too much, as they say. He simulates having a, a sex act with uh, Lydia. They just make a bunch of noise. Well, guess what? Mandy hears it. That's the end of that relationship. So uh, again, the party down universe is quick to punish Ron. Ron went out of his lane, messed around too much, loses his girlfriend. Which leads into season uh, two, episode three. And this is sad, sad, sad Ron. Ron now no longer has Mandy as a distraction from sort of the state of things, the state of his life. Now he is having to face what has happened. Super Crackers, the dream has died. He now no longer has a girlfriend. And he is grieving 
Um, he says, he, you know, it's for Mandy and he talks a lot about losing that relationship. And, but I think what comes through is he is grieving sort of having, um, a direction in his life. And he talks about that, you know, and through the episode, um, we see the great Henry and Ron bond. Uh, they, they, they work it out together. They support each other. And really, I think Ron is able to process a lot of what's going on in his life and processes dealing with Mandy, uh, through Henry. Henry is there for him. But, you know, that's because Henry is going through things himself. This is the episode where we really first hear Henry acknowledge um, that he was hurt by by Casey. And so together they kind of process things. And Ron, again, he, he's the most fully formed character. He's quick to talk about how he actually thinks and feels. And he talks about, um, you know, it's being sad for not having purpose in his life. And also acknowledging, though, that Mandy wasn't the greatest relationship. She wasn't particularly nice to him, uh, so we learn. But again, she was there. She was something. And uh, now he doesn't have that. Now he really has nothing going on. And so this is a this is a this is a sad Ron, leading into what I've talked to you already about. What I consider the best performance, the best Ron episode. So for all you Ron fans out there, this is. <laughs> This is where you got to go. Season two, episode four, the James Ellison funeral. Uh, Ron starts the episode off. We learn he's been listening to Dust in the Wind by Kansas on repeat. And, you know, he says a lot of the obvious things that I think many of us think um, at a funeral, which is, you know, you live a long life and then somebody talks about you for five minutes. And and what what do you look back on? What have you done? What are people going to say about you? And it just becomes an opportunity for him to realize um, how directionless he is and how, how, you know, how much he's lost. And he doesn't have, you know, super crackers to keep pointing to or some specific kind of dream or goal that we heard throughout season um, one. And so instead, he's acknowledging that, you know, he's hit a bottom of sorts and hitting that bottom. He is reborn in the end. Uh, after locking himself in the coffin, getting high, uh, he's finally freed. And in that, we learn he has, he's considered his existence, he's considered his directions, and he realizes he needs to do something different. So Ron is reborn, you know, with the, the literal representation of going into a casket, and then the casket uh, is closed and it's opened, and new, new Ron emerges. Uh he is reborn. So there's sort of a mythological aspect to it, right? He goes into the, the dark depths uh, and he finds something. He finds direction and then comes back to the light. The, the, the casket is opened and Neuron emerges uh, and he has a vision of what he needs to do and the changes he needs to make. And that leads to Steve Gutenberg's birthday, season two, episode five. New, new Ron. Um, he's back with the flat top. Uh, the flat top was there throughout season one. Season two, the first four episodes, he's got longer hair. So just another representation that this is a different Ron uh, from what we saw in, in the first season. Well, the flat top's back, but it's not new Ron. It's new, new Ron. He has uh, had a vision he has heard a message, and he is trying something different. 
he chooses, he voluntarily chooses to uh, work uh, at the party, even though they're off the clock. Apparently, Steve Gutenberg was going to lose his deposit, so he just has the crew come and hang out and eat the food. But Ron chooses to work the party. And just like in Season 1, Episode uh, 8, the Ricky Sargulish episode, Ron is not an entertainer, so you know the, the, the reading and enacting of, of um, Roman's script uh, really doesn't involve him. So I think that it's another episode where he kind of gets put on the back burner, but I want to credit Party Down. Uh, a lesson is taught to us all. Ron says he's joined AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and he has an issue where a shrimp has been caught in a fish tank. The fish tank is actually art, quite expensive art. So he's panicking because this is new, new Ron who wants to do so well. So what does he do? He calls his sponsor. But here's the twist. He calls his AA sponsor, not for support in uh, not drinking at this party. He calls because apparently his sponsor is a, a, a mechanic or, or um, you know, a repairman of some kind. And so guess what? Uh, bad thing happens not to Ron, but to uh, the sponsor. The sponsor uh, went alone and relapsed. He gets drunk. He ends up having to call somebody else for help. So big takeaways. Don't call your 12-step your sponsor to fix a fish tank. Okay. Number two, don't go to that party by yourself. Uh, it's dangerous to go alone. So had he gone with his uh, support person or his, uh, initially, likely wouldn't have happened. So good for you, Party Down, for having these important uh, lessons to, to teach us. Thank you for that. Which leads to Season 2, Episode 6. This is the uh, not-on-your-wife opening party. Here we see Ron is getting better. He's back to kind of his old ways in that he's reading, you know, this book of, about CIA management tips or something. And so Ron's, you know, kind of getting, he's more stable. He's in a better, uh, better mood, better attitude. Um, seems to be getting into a better place. And... Unfortunately, though, uh, bad things happen to him. Why? Because, again, the Party Down universe is quick to punish Ron. He steps out of line. He, he gets, uh, you know, he goes outside of his path and he is punished. In this case, he comes on to Lydia. Um, keep in mind, this is an episode about farce. Uh, there's a farce that they're watching uh, at this community theater. And so... The episode itself is farce, so it's a series of misunderstandings. And one of them is he completely misunderstands Lydia's um, messages and thinks that she's sending him signals or coming on to him. And so he uh, basically assaults her, kissing her. And uh, guess what? He is maced. So uh, Ron, quick to be punished by party down. He went out, he got out of line. He, he, he got off the path. And he got maced. So uh, having said that, it, the, the premise of that episode, I think, is farce. So it fit with that theme. That leads to season two, episode seven. We're, we're getting down here. The, nit, the nitty gritty, the home stretch. Thanks for sticking with me through all this, through all this time. Um, this character has so much to it. There's so much. We could talk for two hours just about Ron. We're not going to do that, though, okay? Uh, but I want you to. Feel free to call up your friends or make your own podcast and talk for two hours about it okay um the party down company picnic now we've got you know 
Ron's starting to feel his old oats. He's starting to see a direction. Uh, a management position has come open, and Ron has come to the company picnic with a tie on, and he's written a presentation, just like we saw in the first season about super crackers. Um, but it being party down, his presentation gets run over by Kyle, uh, and he gets hit in the back, and he gets hit in the groin. But through it all, uh, something good does happen to him. This is, a, again, this is the reflective, um, introspective uh, Ron. He, you know, we learn, we learn that he's religious. He doesn't say anything more than that, just that he says he's religious. But he's talking about, you know, sort of um, destiny and, and, and it's their order to the universe, I think is his line. It's a great line. And in the end, he ends up meeting somebody. He meets Danielle, who it turns out is a like-minded person. Um, only she's getting high still. Of course, we know old Ron got high. New, new Ron is not getting high. Um, but she's a stoner. Um, but they're just very like-minded. They're very compatible. They click. Uh, and in the end, they hook up that episode. But it being party down, um, there's always a, a sort of a... There's no pure joy is there for poor Ron. It turns out that Danielle is engaged. So although he's met somebody that he, he clicks with, he cares about this is a person for him. Guess what? She's engaged. However, in another positive development for Ron, Henry uh, allows Ron to be team leader again. Now, this is, uh, he's not getting the pay or the benefits, but he's getting the, the responsibility and the title. And remember, that's what Ron wants. Objective, uh, objective forms of, um, you know, achievement that, is what means something to him. So he gets to say he is team leader again. And so it ends up being, you know, a great day for Ron, even though he got hit in the back with a horseshoe, hit by a kickball in the groin. Uh, he, 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 things are turning around for old Ron. So we go into season uh, two, episode eight, Joel Munt's big deal party. And it's, it's amazing to think this late in the series is when we learn about the RDD system, the Ron Donald do's and the Ron Donald don'ts. Uh, Ron is trying so hard as, as team leader. He's implemented this new system. Um, and if you, you know, here's what you're supposed to do. But if you, if you break the rules, you get a, you get a, a mark, an RDD. If you get three RDDs, you get your, um, you get your pay docked. It's all very funny. Uh, and, some of the best Ron material, you know, but it's amazing to think it happens this late in the show, but, uh, that's how memorable it is. It's one of the first things I think about when I think about Ron is the RDD system. Uh, even though I didn't say that yet. So you think, well, really it's not one of the first things. Yeah, it is, but I just didn't say it. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I love the RDDs. And so this episode he's back, he's, he's happy, he's team leader, but it being party down, he gets put on the spot. He get the, the code, is invoked and the code being because someone is messing with one of the party down waiters he has to provide urine in a champagne glass uh, that of course blows up uh, he tries so hard he want he you know he wants that good comment card uh, there's an issue with the van being locked party down universe is ready willing and able to punish ron he panics and he tries to break into the party down van. Instead, he breaks into the host's van. And so, uh, you know, it doesn't go the way he plans. Now, in the end, um, he's back. He's team leader. Uh, he's blackmailed, though, because he's got this RDD system. 
because he broke that window, Kyle's got the surveillance tape. So Ron's effectiveness is, uh, or his ability to be team leader is muted. Why? Because he went out of bounds. He tried, you know, he broke a window trying to take a shortcut and it cost him the ability to fully implement the new system he spent so much time working on. Classic party down. Season 2, Episode 9, the penultimate episode of the series to date, thus far, uh, sees Ron, poor Ron. Ron is concerned about um, his, his health, his reproductive health, you might say. He's concerned, um, and, and like any of us, really, you know, you think there's a health problem and then you think the worst. So he's concerned that he might have t- testicular cancer um, because of issues he's having, and uh this episode is really a throwback to season one. Um, the the um, Cole Landry's draft day party is really uh, the closest in season two that we see to the season one Ron because the naivety is back, the disconnect is back. Um, he is trying to enforce a, the phone policy. Uh, he won't let Kyle leave early because Kyle broke the phone policy. So Kyle gets back at him by having somebody pretend to, you know, give him medical advice uh, or pretend to give him legit medical advice and he's really pranking him. Of course, there's that naivety. Uh, he takes it seriously and Ron thinks the best way to uh, to address his health concerns is by providing a semen sample at this party. Uh, as you could imagine, that's not well received uh, and it leads to... Uh, the person that he gives that sample to is going to fill out the comment card. So there we go, right? He stepped out of bounds. He did something he wasn't supposed to. He was worried about the, you know, he's trying to use the party as an opportunity to get medical, uh, medical advice or, or medical treatment. And the comment card gets punished. The thing he actually cares about, that objective sort of a form of approval that he seeks uh, is jeopardized. But Henry being Henry, he tells Henry, honestly, he was concerned he had cancer. Henry understands. So that great relationship between them. And I talked so much about that last episode that I haven't talked as much this episode about the Henry and Ron relationship because I think I really uh, explored it at length last time. But as I said, um, both times I've discussed the show, Henry and Ron, their relationship forms um, one of the three core relationships in the show. And... Uh, you know, it's touching. It's a, it's a brotherly relationship, and um, it it really drives the show in many ways. Leading to the finale thus far. Again, there might be more episodes, but as of right now, June 2021, this is, you know, the finale of the series. Season 2, Episode 10, Constance Carmel's Wedding. And in this wedding, um, Ron is at a crossroads. Danielle is there for some reason. The party down ownership is there, um, partly because we need them there so that this this issue with Ron can play out. And that is Danielle, the owner's daughter, uh, goes to the wedding with her fiance Stuart, and Ron is presented with a dilemma. If he takes the chance and expresses his true feelings about Danielle, you know, publicly. He risks not being able to uh, get a management position at Party Down, uh, an office position, which he, of course, wants, which he dreams of. Uh, 
Um, he's presented with this fork in the road. Does he take the chance or does he stick with what's stable? And so there's a whole interaction with Constance uh, versus Lydia that we've talked about. And we'll talk more about um, when, when those characters come up. Um, Ron ultimately takes the chance. So this is basically what happens to Henry in season two, episode seven, the, the Uda and management versus Casey and party down in the unknown. And just like uh, Henry, Ron chooses to take the chance. He uh, expresses his true feelings for Danielle during the wedding. It's one of the best Ron moments when he, when he interrupts the wedding to, to tell Danielle how he really feels. Um, it's very funny also because, you know, it's totally inappropriate. It's Constance's wedding. So it doesn't, um, it's not the appropriate time. Very, very funny. By the way, uh, Ken Marino directs that episode and it is outstanding. So Ron takes the chance and guess what? Amazingly, Ron's rewarded. Ron takes the chance, uh, expresses how he truly feels and doesn't just go the safe way of uh, getting the management opportunity that he that he craves and he dreams of. Now, he does get punched, so the physical abuse continues. But in the end, he gets to be with Danielle. And they argue about birds. So, so there is our arc. Ron, death, rebirth, death, rebirth. Uh, and then taking a chance and going into the unknown. Uh, great character great performance, great writing. And so taking a step back, what are some of the lessons we learn from Mr. Ron Donald? Well, I think one is um, practice what you preach. If you're going to tell everybody don't, you know, no, no personal business on company time, then uh, you need to follow that rule. And that's kind of the, that's, that's a theme throughout, right? If Ron would kind of stay within the set of rules that he preaches, uh, he would avoid much, much humiliation. An important uh, lesson for us all. Um, there are limits to what you to what you will do uh, to achieve your dream, and so I, I think about the adult film thing. He, it's just not something he wants. It's not something he's comfortable with, and so there. It's not just about getting what you want, but it's the way you get it. And I think that's something that is uh, really a lesson we learn throughout Party Down, through with Henry, with Ron. Uh, it's not just what your dream is, but it's the way that you achieve that dream that matters to these characters. At least we're going to see with Kyle, Kyle's more willing to, to do it, you know, other things to get, uh, to, to, to get the role. And so, uh, also be kind, you know, I think one thing through all the things that happened to, to Ron, there is a kindness to him that makes people give him chances that makes people, um, forgive him you know, for some of the uh, naive uh, and disconnected dis mistakes and decisions he makes. So be kind. And then ultimately, um, get back up. You know, Ron is a tough guy. He'll, he'll, he'll take a hit and he'll get back up. He gets hit in the groin. He gets punched in the face. He gets hit in the back. He gets tased. You can't keep Ron down, though. And also, not just physically, uh, Ron gets spiritually uh, knocked down. Um, but he, keep, he gets back up and he keeps trying. So great example for all of us. So that's it for this week. Thank you to uh, Party Down. Thank you to the show creators. Thank you to the writers. Thank you to Ken Marino. And don't crack up.
that's it. The episode three is in the books. We're going to come back next week. And the deep dive next week is going to be on Casey, Casey Klein, played by America's greatest living actor, Lizzie Kaplan. So stay tuned for that. As I said, don't crack up. Hope you're doing well. Um, feel free to reach out if you want to uh, contact me. The uh, Twitter handle is at a commuters pod. Uh, no apostrophe. If you want to email, it's do not crack up podcast at gmail.com or don't crack up podcast at gmail.com with no apostrophe. Hope you're doing well. Thank you for listening. Don't crack up. Don't crack up. Don't crack up. Don't crack up.